Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Well, last week, I started this new series uh, for this time uh, called Anchored, and we're really believing that this is a time that we are in a storm and that we need to be well anchored to Jesus. And last week, I talked about those four points, right? Those four points uh, of anchoring us in the reality of Jesus. And so the, the big idea was this, is if we're anchored in Jesus, then we are secure. We're absolutely secure. We're absolutely safe because we are anchored in Jesus. So we talked about those four anchors is first of all, that Jesus is, is present. He's there. He's with us. He's among us. He's here today. He's in your living room today, that he is your protector, that he's going to protect you, that he will not let evil take over, that he is your protector. He is your provider, that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, not according to your job, not according to your circumstance or how high your bills are. God is a good provider. So he's present, he's, he's protector, he's provider, and Jesus is peace. He doesn't just give us peace, he is peace. It's, it's who he is. So when we get him, we get peace. So that's what we talked about last week. And this week, I want to talk about the issue of faith. Now, we've talked a lot about faith. Faith's a, a hot subject right now. Because it's critical. It's critical for us when we're going through difficult times that we're anchored in our faith. And so Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, rather, most people don't believe it's Paul, but, but the, writers of Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews uh, is talking about people that have abandoned the faith. People that when it got difficult or, you know, because of persecution, they were abandoning the faith. And he addresses this issue and he points to this man Abraham. And that's where we're going to spend our attention today is, is talking about the life of Abraham and how that relates and connects to our faith. So Hebrews chapter six, verse 12 says, you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. And since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you. You know, blessings are promised by God. And he's promised that. And they're so, they're so, it's so important that we're blessed. God sees it so important that we're blessed that he, that he says that I will, I will make an oath in my own name. Like that's how important it is for me to bless you. So he makes this over Abraham. He says, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited. <laughs> and if you know the story of Abraham, he waited a long time and he received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold themselves to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. I love it that God doesn't change his mind about us and God doesn't change his mind about his promises. He doesn't need to change his mind. It's perfectly good. So God has given us both his promise and his oath by his name, and then signs it in his own blood with Jesus. Come on, isn't that good? These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. And one, one day I'm going to do a series on impossible things for God to do. One of those things is lying. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can take great confidence as we hold 
to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Now, Abraham was a well-anchored man. He was anchored in this issue of faith. And, and Romans chapter four, it's where we'll spend a lot of our time today. Romans chapter four, I would encourage you to, to read this read that this week, get, get into that. Romans chapter four is a great study in the life of Abraham. It's a, it talks a lot about, about the, the relationship that Abraham had with God and that was rooted in the aspect of faith. And so it says this in Romans chapter four, verse one, it says, Abraham was humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation or the founder of our faith. Some translations say, what did he discover about being made right with God? If good deeds made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous, not because of what he did, but because of his faith, because of, because of where he was putting his stock, the stock of his life. He was fully invested in God. He wasn't invested in a religious system. And we, I mean, he, he was what you might call religious because he was obedient, because he was faithful. But he wasn't righteous because he was faithful. He was righteous because he had a steadfast faith, not because of how he lived it out. He lived it out because it was there. So it was because of his steadfast faith that fueled his faithfulness. So Romans chapter 4, verse 13 says, clearly, if you skip down here to because we don't have time to read it all today. It says, clearly God's promises that were given to the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law. So his, 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 his righteousness was not rooted in obedience. And that's the mistake that we make sometimes. We think that, that I'm righteous because I obeyed God. No, you're righteous therefore you obey God. And you're righteous because of your faith, just like Abraham. So if God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. You can't, the thing, the thing that was broken, the writer of Hebrews talks about this, that, that the law was broken. It couldn't even fulfill what it was set out to do. It couldn't make people righteous. It was broken. So Abraham was, was a well-anchored man. And, and I love it, what it says about this. It says that Abraham was God's friend in Genesis chapter 18. This is, this is where everything starts. Abraham was a friend of God. And God saw him. God called him his friend. I mean, what, what an honor. <laughs> Not that we would call God our friend, but man, I feel close to God. Know that God considers us friend. And it was all because Abraham was poised for promise because of that, because of his relationship, because of his connection. So that's the first thing about Abraham is that he was God's friend and he was poised for promise. Second of all, Abraham had a promise and had faith in that promise. So he didn't just have, you know, a creed that was written somewhere. He didn't just have like what we would have like a Bible sitting on a shelf or a scripture posted on a wall. He actually placed faith. He actually had what God, God said and then he put his faith there. So it wasn't like he just had something that was this, you know, kind of pie in the sky idea. And I think sometimes that's how we are with God's promises. We're like, well, I have God's promises. Well, I have God's promises. But have you put faith in God's 
promises. See, God's promises are true, they're powerful, they're good. Yet if we don't come into agreement with God's promises, if I don't look at those promises and say, you know what, they're good enough for me. If I can't just look at God and, and I can look at God and say, God's good all day long. But until I look at God and say, God is good to me, then I really have an exemplified faith in that. So it doesn't matter how solid the promise is if I don't line up, if I don't come into agreement with it. So I would encourage you to agree with the promises of God. And the third thing about Abraham is this, is that Abraham kept the faith through a long and difficult time. It took a long time. Romans 8, uh, 4, 4, 18, continuing in that chapter, it says, even though there was no, there was no reason for hope, even though everything was stacked up against Abraham, no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping. What an encouragement. Even when we feel like we've lost our hope. By the, by the way, hopelessness is an illusion. There's always hope. Because Jesus is on the throne. There's always hope. But listen, Abraham kept hoping. I mean, can you imagine an old man? God promised me decades ago that I was going to be given a child. Can you go imagine going around and telling people when you're like 100 years old that God has promised you a child? Can you imagine the looks and the sneers and the laughs? So there was no reason to hope, but Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. There'll be many nations. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years old, he figured his body was good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. But Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger And in this, he brought glory to God. He brought glory to God by growing his faith. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. He was fully convinced. Are you fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises? And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. You're righteous, Abraham, because you place your faith. See, faith endures. It endures the difficult seasons. You know, we, we look a, a lot of times at people's faith based upon their accumulation. But with Abraham, it was his faithfulness. We knew he was, we knew he had faith because of his faithfulness and faith endures. It goes through the dec- decades. Now, what I love about Abraham and how it connects with us is that we are the beneficiaries of the promises of Abraham. So God promised Abraham this promise. And then he says, you know what? The same promise I made to Abraham is for you. And the Jews were believing this. They were like, we're the children of Abraham in John chapter eight. And Jesus is like, whoa, wait a second. You're the child of the devil, the way that you're acting, the way that you're living. He's like, you've totally missed it. And so they thought because they were keeping the law of Moses, that that made them children of Abraham. And then Jesus tells them, no, you're actually slaves to sin, not sons of righteousness, not sons of Abraham. So in chapter, in Romans chapter four, verse 23, it says, when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. Here it is. Here it is. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous. God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Christ our Lord from the dead. So we are by faith, the children of Abraham. The beneficiaries of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, we're going to do a series later this year called Covenants. 
And we'll talk a little bit more in detail, but, but basically there's, there's three main areas in the Abrahamic covenant. And this is in Genesis chapter 12 when God appears uh, to Abraham. And the first is dominion. You're going to possess a lot of land. The next one is descendants. You're going to have many descendants in the, in the kingdom of God where kingdom, dominion. We have descendants, disciples, right? People that, that come from us, not necessarily born of physical birth, but born of the spirit. And then, then we are a blessing to others. And this is why he says, many nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So this is the promise to Abraham, dominion, descendants, and blessing to others. And so we are the beneficiaries of the covenant to Abraham. So it says this in Galatians chapter three, verse six, we've got a lot of scripture today. In the same way, Abraham believed God and counted, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. There it is again. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight. Now, a Gentile is a non-Jew. and it, That's us, right? I think. Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith, not because of their religion, not because of their law keeping, because of their faith. And God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. There it is. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So we are grafted in to the promise of Abraham, even though that we're not his great, 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 great grandchildren, Right? We, are, we have been grafted in because we have faith in Jesus. So we inherit the same promise that Abraham had because of our faith. So we're, notice it doesn't say we're the children of Moses or children of the law. We're not Jews. Thank God for Jews. If we were Jews, then we would, that's called replacement theology. God doesn't need to replace the Jews. The Jews serve a purpose. So the law was... Uh, preserved for a specific people for a specific time so that a specific purpose would be met. That specific purpose is Jesus. The law was the stage set for Jesus to come so that the Abrahamic covenant could be fulfilled. So Jesus comes and makes a way for us to be cleansed through righteousness. Come on, by trusting him so we can receive what God promised Abraham. Love it. So good. So good. So good. That's why we're never called Jews. We're called the children of Abraham. So it's kind of like You have this line, but now that we're here, you don't have to go through all of this to get there. So let's talk about some realities of faith because the whole thing's based in faith. Now, that word's been abused and, you know, put your hand on the screen. We we, we get it. We we, we get all the the abuses. But I want to give you some realities about faith, some biblical realities about faith. The first is this, is that faith is active trust. It's not wishful thinking. It's not, you know, it's not uh, believing in the tooth fairy. It's not, you know, Disney World type ideas. No, no, faith is active trust. It's the trust that you have when you're sitting right now in those chairs. You've placed faith in that chair. You might not even thought about it, but you did. You sit there. You placed active trust in that. You didn't just trust it one time. Come on. You continue to trust it. It's active. So Romans chapter 4 verse 20 Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, and we read this a while ago, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced. I love that. He was fully convinced that God would keep his promises. And then Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Verse 1, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we can't see. 
Faith is the confidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's many translations say it that way. But faith is the confidence. Confidence in what we hope for will actually happen. You know, when I, I think about faith, I think about children. Children, they're really good at faith, right? They haven't, they, they haven't, they haven't learned how to fear and be concerned about all the things. They're just totally fine. So the last couple of weeks, or we're locked down at our house. Our kids aren't worried about it. I try to get one of our kids to come up today and, and, and do this message with us and totally wasn't interested in leaving the house. I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, I need to get out. And, uh, but our kids, they don't worry. They don't worry if we're going to run out toilet paper, right? They don't worry about if the food, there's going to be food there. Why? Because they've trusted their providers. They've trusted their providers. They go with it. They just go with it. So when we, when we say there's going to be food, they don't go, well, is there going to be food? They haven't learned to doubt. And I, w- I would also say this about being their parent. Because we've got two that are getting a little, o- little older. So now they have opinions. Right? Uh, and, and so what's going to happen is eventually they'll have an opinion on how we provide. But I don't need their opinion. I'm a good provider. All that I need them to do is just go, my dad's a good dad. And when I go to the fridge, there's going to be food there. When I go to wipe my butt, there's going to be toilet paper there, right? It's just going to be there because I'm well taken care of. So faith says, Lord, I don't know what's next, but I know what you said, and I know what you've done this far, so I can trust you. You take good care of your kids. So, so we've got to just be like that. We've just got to be kids that are just trusting. We're just trusting. God, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how this thing is going to end. I don't know how we're going to start having services again, but I know that I, I just trust you. And we're going to do what we can until what we hope for and what we believe for actually happens. We're just going to stay in the pocket of faithfulness. We're going to stick around. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk or we live by faith, not by sight. And I believe this. I believe this is all my heart. It's normal for us as Christians to hear the voice of God, to live exhilarated. But the question is, what happens when we're not exhilarated? What happens when we're not hearing the voice of God? How do we function? How do we react? Are we, are, 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 do we get lost? Do we get sidetracked? It's easy to operate at a high level when we're living in spiritual bliss. But we live by faith. We don't live by experience. We live by faith, not by sight. We don't live according to the culture. We live in the culture, but the culture doesn't, doesn't set my thermostat. We have hope in the tangibles, the promises, but our trust ultimately is in him and what he says. So faith is active trust, just trusting the Lord. What does it mean to have faith? It just means to trust him. Does it mean to just, oh, kind of wishful thinking? It means I actually trust God. I, I do trust him. I believe what he said is true, and I believe he's, he's good for it. I believe he's good for it. So faith is active trust. The second reality about faith is that faith is required to please God. It's required. You can't please God any other way. You can't please God by doing enough things. If that was the case, you could boast. Look, God, at what all I did. You ask people, what are you going to do when you stand before God? I'm going to start talking about all the things I, I did. You know how unimpressive that is to God, no matter how impressive it is to people, no matter how impressive it is to the world. When we stand before God, it's not going to be based upon the things that I did. Because those will always fail in comparison. Hebrews eleven six. it is impossible to please God without faith. Impossible. Can you please God without faith? Nope. 
What if I do a lot of good things? Nope. What if I feed a lot of hungry people? Nope. What if I cure a lot of diseases? Nope. You got to have faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God is and, and this is a statement from, from the pocket of Abraham, my exceeding great reward. And we believe that God is a rewarder of those who sincerely seek him. So faith is the qualifier. You can't get righteous by doing a single thing or everything. You can't get right. You can't get righteous by doing everything, by dotting the I's and crossing the T's. You have to trust him. Faith is a qualifier. You cannot be righteous by doing anything, but by trusting someone. And that's how we're made righteous. That's how we see the provision of God by trusting him. So we have to give into this thing God called grace. And we do that by faith. Uh, years ago, we, had a, we were moving from El Paso. This was 99. And Leslie had a piano, this huge piano, 2010. I said 99. It was way longer than that. So 2010, we're, we have a piano in our house. And we, I can't remember if we sold it or we gave it away. And we weren't going to be able to keep it because we were moving. And pianos are really, really, really heavy. And so this guy, a, a Craigslist or something, shows up at the house to pick up the piano. And we are in the house, and here comes this guy, just kind of a normal guy, you know, just kind of good old boy, shows up, got his truck outside. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm aimlessly trying to help him maneuver the piano. We're moving the piano through the house, out to the curb, and we're going to set it in the back of his truck. Just lay it down. His plan is just to lay it down in the back of the truck. I'm like, okay, bro, like, whatever. I just need this thing gone. And so I'm trying to, you know, mess with it and kind of lift up. You know, I'm just like moving an inch, exerting all my strength. And then this man looks nothing. There's nothing special about him. He's not like big bodybuilder. just this man just reaches the guy, just a normal guy, just reaches around the piano and picks it up. I'm like, what? Who are you, Lord? <laughs> and he just picks it up and he throws it in the back of his truck and he's like, thank you. I was like, oh, thanks for making me feel ultra weak today. And the idea is this is he was able to do something that I wasn't able to do. And the only way it was going to happen is if I got my hands off and just let him take care of it. And many times we are trying to gain ground in God. It's something we can never do without faith. We've just got to trust the man. We've got to trust him to carry the load, to lift sin and the shame out of our life. The third thing about faith is this, faith works. Faith works. And by faith works, I mean faith produces obedience. You know, faith that won't work, don't work. Faith that won't work, don't work. Well, I believe God, but no. no. Faith that won't work, don't work. I love what Martin Luther said, the great reformer, right? We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. You know what that's called? You know what kind of faith it is? I have faith, but I don't really fuck. We call that devil faith. It's devil faith, right? James talks about that. He's like, do you believe in God? Awesome. It's great that you believe in God. Even the demons believe in God, and they tremble. They're actually scared of God. And you have faith. He's like, I'll show you my faith by what I do, James says. And we know the the famous uh, James passage is 217. Faith that that works is dead, right? So you see faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. So obedience 
is the active part of trust. It's what you're doing when you're seated. Obedience is the active part of trust. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It was by faith that God, that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land. And God would give him as an inheritance. And he went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land, God had promised he lived there by faith. He didn't know where he was going. God said, I want you to go. And he said, okay, I'll go. Where am I going? You'll know when you get there. I just want you to move. And when he reached the land that God had promised, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. So did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham is confidently looking forward to a city whose eternal foundations, whose city was designed and built by God. He was looking for that city. He was looking for what God had told him. Are you looking? Are you living like you really believe what God said? Faith works. And the fourth thing about faith is that faith will be tested. And this is where we're at right now. You know, our faith is being tested. Jesus talks about that. He's like, and I'm like, I don't think that this is the end, but Jesus is in the end. The love of most will go cold. They're just going to be unfaithful. People are going to turn their faith off. They're going to stop believing God. But faith will be tested. James says it this way. Consider it pure joy, James 1. (laughs) This is a tough one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And this is what Abraham had. How was he able to go that long? Because he was able to go the next day. How was he able to go to the next decade? Because he is able to go one more day. Because he is able to go one more week. Because he he, he was willing to believe one more day, one more hour. I don't know where you're at. I don't know, I don't know where you're at on the belief scale. Maybe you, maybe you do, like you're, you've got faith for the next 10 years, but maybe you got it just for the next 10 minutes. That's a great place to start because the only way you're going to get to 10 years is if you can get through 10 minutes, 10 days. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So how, how, how do we nurture this faith? Number one, you pray in the Spirit. Jude tells us this. Jude 20, pray in the Spirit. You second thing you do is you go to the Word. How do I develop faith? I want to have more faith. Are you, are you in the Word? Uh, sometimes. Are you in the Word? You need to be listening to the Word. Not just to church on Sunday. You, you need to be listening to your Bible app. You need to be listening to preachers, people that will encourage you. You need, to be, you need to pray the Word of God. You need to pray. I don't know how to pray. There's a bunch of prayers in the Bible to pray. Get in the Word. Pray the Word. Read the Word. Read the Word out loud. Declare the Word. Memorize the Word. Get into the Word. I always say, get into the Word until the Word gets in to you. Go to the Word. Faith comes by Hearing and hearing by the word. So pray in the spirit, go to the word, endure the difficulties. Just like we're talking about, James 1. Just keep going. Another day, another minute, another five minutes, whatever it takes to get you to the next spot. And the fourth thing is this, is ask for grace. Because sometimes for me, the trials, the the dark places, man, I've, I've learned to lean on the faithfulness of God. But you know what? Also, 
I've learned a lot, and my faith has grown a lot when I've seen the goodness of God. When I've seen God actually be good, it causes my faith to arise. I go, you know what? If God was good to them, then I believe God will be good to me. And because I saw God be good to me 10 years ago, I know that he'll be good to me now because his goodness hasn't stopped. So sometimes whenever I'm, I'm, whenever I'm lacking, I just, I just ask for the grace for it to say, God, just let me see some of your goodness. I don't even have the faith for it right now, but I'm asking, will you give it to me? And so in Mark chapter 9, I love this. This, is, this is a, became a life verse to me over the last 10 years. Uh, the disciples are trying to deliver this boy of demons, and they're praying, and, and nothing's happening, and everybody's freaking out. And so the boy's dad comes to Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, he's like, I went to your disciples to try to get my son delivered, and they couldn't do anything. And Jesus rebukes them for their belief. And then he asked the man, he said, do you believe? And he said, yeah, I do. This is the way he says that I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief, Lord. And I I think that's where I'm at a lot of times. That I'm just like, Lord, I need the grace for belief. I need the grace for faith. Come on. I need, Lord, I need, I need to just see. And sometimes it's just a good posture because you know what I found is whenever I get before the Lord and I say, Lord, I need grace, then at that moment is whenever I've trusted him. And I've said, oh, yeah. It wasn't about my strength. It wasn't about me powering through it. It wasn't about my track record. It was just about me going, God, I need you. And he's like, hey, you're exactly where I want you to be. I believe. But I help, help my unbelief. Help me, Lord. So just, that's how you lean on that grace. You just say, help me, Lord. Help me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I love this so much. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy And find grace to help us in our time of need. Can we just pray that right now, wherever you're at, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, can we just pray that today? Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we we don't have it figured all out. Lord, we are, we're kind of struggling with this faith thing. We're having a hard time believing, but But Lord, I I do believe you sent Jesus. And I do believe that you sent Jesus to make a way. There was no other way. There was nothing else that could be done. So Jesus had to do it. Jesus had to finish it. And so, Lord, because you did that, we approach your throne with confidence. One translation says, with boldness, we approach the throne of grace so we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need.